Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. It is, you know, the open university of the airwaves. It is entirely free and you can speak back to the teacher anytime you like by telephone, by Twitter, by email even directly into the studio here in London. If you are listening to us on FM on 105.5 in the Washington, D.C. area, then you are welcome. If you're listening right across the United States on AM, from Burning City to Burning City, likewise. If you're listening around the whole world on SputnikNews.com, well, good day, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night, wherever you are. But if you are amongst the half a million people, more than half a million people who watch as well as listen to the show, then listen up. Al G, that's Algorithm, who now runs Al Gore's internet, is always busy. He never sleeps. Al G is in complete command over whether or not you even know that I'm on the air and for how long I'll be on what I'll be allowed to say, which clips will be uh, given free reign and which will be suppressed. But there are ways that you can confound Mr. Al G. Rhythm. The first of them is if you're watching on Facebook right now, either on my own Facebook page or on RT's multiple Facebook portals, please press share right now with everyone on your friend list, every contact that you have, so that they definitely know that we are currently on the air. If you're watching on my YouTube channel, please do subscribe if you are there, or on RT's multiple YouTube channels, you are also welcome. You are welcome to follow me on my Telegram channel. Very important channel, that, because who knows if Al G gets particularly nasty, well, that'll be the last one that we are on. But let's make hay while the sun shines. You can watch me on Twitter. You can watch me on Telegram. You can watch me on Instagram. Normally, I think not tonight, alas. You can watch me on Twitch and you can watch on multiple other channels. More than I could shake a stick at. Now, let me begin uh, because I may not be a gentleman, but I know how gentlemen behave, by congratulating the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson, and Mrs. Johnson on the pregnancy that they announced today, and commissary uh, on the uh, miscarriage that was also referred to in this announcement. Boris Johnson has a lot of children. Uh, we're not sure how many he has, and he is not prepared to tell us. Uh, 
partly because some of them were born in, shall we say, rather mysterious circumstances. But I don't want to be churlish. Any new life is blessed. It's a gift from God. And in this country, at least, uh, very badly needed. We have a demographic time bomb ticking away underneath our feet. The number of young people of working age will very soon make it unsustainable for the rest of us beyond working age to be supported, to be supported in terms of taxation, but also in terms of the jobs that need to be done to give help and sustenance to older people. We need more children. I have been advocating for decades uh, that we need a child-centered taxation policy and every fiscal means should be bent towards encouraging the birth rate in Britain. Now that we have a new Britain, we need an abundant new generation of British people. Because of abortion, we are 10 million people of working age shorter than we would have been. Because we're no longer in the freedom of movement game with the European Union, a significant number of people have left this country and a not significant number of people continue to come in, usually by the dinghy from Calais, about which also more later. But we're experiencing labor shortages already. In the field of transport, trucking, for example, we've got fruit rotting in the uh, fields. And this morning, for the second week running, I was informed by Arriva Trains uh, that because of problems which can only now be described as a crisis in shortages of train crews, my train had to be cancelled. So I just got here by the skin of my teeth to present this show this evening. Labour shortages are being reported everywhere. Now, there's a number of things we can do about that pending an increase in the birth rate and those babies growing up to be workers. The first is to put the wages up that are being offered by employers in Britain to people that don't want to take those jobs, can't afford to take those jobs. Did you know that some truckers, formerly the kings of the road in Britain, are being paid less, less than 10 pounds per hour? I spoke to one uh, in the last uh, two or three hours whose wage is nine pounds 40 an hour for driving a gigantic truck up the motorways for sleeping in his truck four nights a week, for being away from his family for four nights a week and only getting home on the fifth night in the dead of night. Nine pounds 40, you're having a laugh. No wonder there's a shortage of truckers. A trucker in America, in a union, the Teamsters, much maligned Teamsters union, will be earning two or three times that because of their trade union power. That's the second thing you can do if you're a worker. Make sure you join a trade union because you'll have a much better chance of standing up to your employer's parsimony 
as a group of workers than you will as an individual. But there's lots of things that we can do through the taxation system to boost our birth rate. And it's a national imperative. So well done, Boris Johnson, uh, on your children. I don't know how many, oh my goodness, we've got a poll on it. How many children does Boris Johnson actually have? A, six, B, seven, C, eight. My guess would have been more than eight, actually. Anyway, it's going to be a long, hot summer in a much more serious way uh, in the Middle East. Let's start in the Levant. Not only is Lebanon now bankrupt, official, not only has Lebanon been robbed blind, not only did Lebanon exactly one year ago suffer a still unexplained, devastating explosion, one of the biggest explosions short of a nuclear weapon that the world has seen since the Second World War, which devastated the city, killed a huge number of people, maimed, wounded, and damaged the mental health of a very large number of Beirutis, a city I know and love so well, but destroyed still more of the infrastructure and the housing in Lebanon, which has suffered generations now of civil war and conflict, because Lebanon is a plaything, a playground in which powers, oftentimes very far away, play their dirty games at the expense of the Lebanese people and the Palestinian people who live there as refugees in very significant numbers. I have, my daughter was born on this day in 1982 when Israel was invading Lebanon. I have to specify the year because Israel has invaded Lebanon over and over and over and over again. But on that occasion, I had just myself escaped from Lebanon when the Israeli forces surrounded the refugee camps of Sabra and Shatila and the Lebanese phalangists under Israeli protection fell upon the unarmed, undefended refugees like wolves upon lambs. The people of Lebanon have suffered mightily. They've always walked a tightrope, but that tightrope may have snapped in the last couple of hours. A big funeral took place in Lebanon today of a businessman, a member of and a supporter of the Lebanese resistance group Hezbollah. That funeral was fired upon by multiple gunmen as yet unidentified. And a source who was at the funeral said to me that the country was now on the brink of another civil war. We'll keep an eye on that and try and get calls in to the show on the current situation as it is developing. Here's the phone numbers, by the way, 08081. 9655522 if you're in the United Kingdom, 08081 9655522. It's entirely free, remember. And if you're in the United States, again, entirely free, it's plus one, 844 944 Plus one, 844 944 
double four. So call me if you can give me an update on what's happening in Lebanon as the show rolls on. Perhaps most dangerous of all is the situation in the Persian Gulf. I told you earlier uh, that an Israeli-owned tanker, as they do, was sailing off the coast of Iran. Innocently, you know, a kind of regatta, just out for a sail in the waters of the Persian Gulf. Somebody attacked it. Iran says it was not them. America says it was them and that a response is forthcoming. That too may come this evening. Who knows? The United States uh, has its gun cocked at all times and indeed the shots that the Trump administration fired towards Iran at the airport in Baghdad, killing General Soleimani, provoked uh, the closest to all-out war between Iran and its neighbors and the United States that we have yet come to. That may change this very evening. There are all kinds of issues that we will be touching on uh, this evening. These are only some of them. This is the birthday uh, of Hugo Chavez. Well, a couple of days ago, this week was the birthday uh, of Hugo Chavez, who was born uh, less than a month uh, before me. I have outlived him, uh, but I will never be able to hold a candle to his greatness. I had the uh, great honor of knowing him and of meeting him several times. And the last time I saw him was during his last election victory, when despite the vicissitudes of American hostility and the hostility of the satrapies of the United States in his neighborhood, particularly Colombia, but not only Colombia, Hugo Chavez won yet another election. Hugo Chavez was the most elected man on the earth, won more elections, more plebiscites than any other political leader on the earth. He was a force of nature. He was a devastatingly effective political leader, mass orator, and a man that people in large numbers, not just in Venezuela, all over the world, wanted to follow and to emulate. A new man in the same mold, though none could fill his shoes, has just been elected as the president of Peru. You can tell he's a good egg, President Castillo, because Labour MPs hate him already. Somebody called Chris Bryant, a loathsome, slithering apology for a Labour MP in, God save them, the Ronda Valley. Quite an infamous man, actually. A man who made £655,000 selling flats that you, the British taxpayer, paid for. A man who famously posed in his underpants on an early version of a dating site, a man who supported every war and every crime of the Tony Blair era, including, of course, the war in Iraq and Afghanistan and Libya and 
Syria, and I could go on. He issued a tweet before President Castillo had even taken the official oath of office, denouncing him as a Marxist. President Castillo is not a Marxist, I don't think, but whether he is or whether he isn't is a matter only for the people of Peru. What he is, is a man who has committed himself to tackling the grotesque inequalities that exist in his country, whose natural resources have been systematically looted for generations, for as long as I have been politically conscious. Castillo intends to keep the wealth of Peru in Peru and distribute it fairly amongst all Peruvians. That guarantees you the enmity of Labour MPs, doesn't it? Well, there's much, much more I could go on. We'll be talking about the British political scene, about the American political scene, but perhaps especially tonight, we'll be talking about the propaganda offensive against China, reaching new heights or depths according to your point of view. China is being given the full Iraq treatment. It's only a matter of time before people shredders and every other calumny that was mobilized against the people of Iraq is brought onto the field against China. Heaven knows they've been accused of virtually everything else. We'll be talking to a real expert. Let's play a game and I'll ask you yes or no questions. Ready? Okay then. Sick and tired of hearing the same old voices on the wireless? Are you looking for an alternative opinion to the mainstream media? Do you have a thing for a Scottish accent? If your answer is no to one or more of these questions, then you need the mother of all talk shows with George Galloway. Listen! Watch and share the fastest growing political program in the world. As it happens, my first guest is able to talk expertly on virtually every subject I raised in my introduction. In fact, let me correct that, on every subject in my introduction. In fact, he could have given that introduction. He is the maestro. He is the master of RT UK, journalist, broadcaster, host of RT's Going Underground, who lived for a time in Venezuela and knows the Persian Gulf rather well. Afsan, welcome back to the mother of all talk shows. Always wonderful to see you. You're looking wonderful as always. Let's start, can we, with Castillo in Peru, enemy number one, for Chris Bryant, the Labour MP of La Ronda. Tell us what you know about him. Well, I think that uh, the fact that uh, Western papers, NATO nation papers, are already starting to criticise Castillo and he's only been in office a few days, so much was the support, presumably, for uh, Fujimori, the uh, uh, relative of the previous dictator backed by Washington. I couldn't have done what you just did because I only met Hugo Chavez a couple of times. But I think 
when I lived in Venezuela, and I think this is important as regards Peru and the pink tide, the return of the pink tide, if it ever went away, is that I was in Venezuela under Carlos Andres Perez. And people used to say, why are you voting him in? Why are you voting for him? Because he stole so much money last time. Maybe he won't steal as much money from the people this time. Chavez changed everything. Didn't he? Yeah. he really did. He made people, no longer could people say, well, it's always like this. It's always going to be like this. And I think Peruvians uh, in electing Castillo uh, clearly are saying, no, yeah, you know, basta, the Zapatista slogan. Things are, can change. You can have a different world. And that's why it's so moving uh, for him in Peru, for Lula, maybe back in Brazil, for uh, uh, maybe uh, Morales, certainly his colleagues in, in Bolivia, uh, and the continuing strength of that Maduro, uh, Maduro government, despite uh, Boris Johnson trying to overthrow the government and hosting one Guaido. No doubt uh, Boris Johnson and Downing Street will host uh, Fujimori. Who's, who's he going to bring here now? And as for Chris Bryant, he's, he came on to going underground. I don't even understand that, because I think he wants to shut RT down and stop, uh, would want uh, Mother Will Talk shows banned forever, such as the belief in free speech of the British Labour Party. Exactly. So uh, the pink tide is coming in again, isn't it? Uh, the countries that you mentioned, the... Uh, determination of the AMLO government in Mexico, which has just defied uh, President Biden and sent uh, a ship full of aid to Cuba. Uh, the uh, continued resilience uh, of the government in Cuba, the changes in Argentina uh, and in uh, many other Latin American countries. I think they were all celebrating uh, the return of autocracy in Latin America prematurely, don't you? Yes, but Joe Biden is president of the United States. In the past 48 hours, his uh, Secretary of State Blinken, uh, that great uh, architect of uh, wars under the Obama administration, I mean, they've announced new sanctions. I mean, such is the way the U.S. Uh, politics, uh, Biden's apologists will say, oh, it's because of the Florida-Dade County vote. Uh, no one cares about that in Latin America. The street in uh, the Western Hemisphere is against Washington, all those different countries you mentioned. And they will uh, obviously look to supporting Havana because the greatest inspiration, maybe, maybe Guatemala, maybe Chile. But of course, you've talked so eloquently in the past. Uh, I've heard you talk about it so much. Is that that shining light of Cuba that has illuminated uh, the entire global south and uh, and the developed world too? Indeed. Let's turn to something that might put the lights out. Uh, Blinken has in the last hours and uh, found Iran guilty of attacking an Israeli-owned tanker in the Persian Gulf, clue being in the name, and promised that uh, retribution will follow. What can you tell us about that? No, Dominic Rab, the Foreign Secretary of Britain, has done the same. And I should say, when I lived in Venezuela, I also lived in Iran later. And the shock when I came back to London, they said Hezbollah used Margarita Island off the coast of Venezuela as some kind of training ground backed by Iran. You just see the conspiracy theories uh, going on. Obviously, the main uh, factor uh, here as regards uh, this ship incident, which uh, Israel came to a conclusion about and immediately was on our NATO nation media, Comcast, Sky News, the uh, British Broadcasting Corporation, so quick to be talking about this incident when 
when only in the past few days 150 or more were uh, wounded in Sheikh Jarrah in the West Bank in Palestine, let alone the continuing Israeli airstrikes on, uh, on Syria and on Gaza and the UN Special Rapporteur ongoing underground on Saturday's show calling war crimes out and the fact that anyone facilitating, anyone helping Israel in its illegal occupation of settlements internationally recognized uh, may, be, may be done, may be liable. That includes businesses, that includes Dominic Rab, because the British government supply the arms for all these uh, Israeli weaponry uh, raining down on uh, some of the poorest people on earth, uh, whilst the press here covers an Iranian shooting by a drone of a ship, one ship. Uh, they all may be liable for war crimes at the International Criminal Court. That's the story. And yet uh, Boris Johnson's chancellor is calling for a response. He, he said Britain will respond. I don't know. Did, is that what you took from it, George? Because I didn't yes. get that. What is Britain going to do with uh, its aircraft uh, well, carrier? Well, I'm not sure because our aircraft carrier is currently in, uh, off the coast of China, uh, where uh, it may well actually come to some bodily harm. I'll be talking to a Chinese guest later. Uh, Can I just interrupt that? I mean, I think a lot. I think the global south, just like we were talking about the streets of uh, the Western Hemisphere, the global south has had enough, and people are saying, "Okay, boycott, divestment, sanctions against Israel doesn't seem to be working that much." Uh, these aircraft carriers, these ships, they are in these regions where they have no business being, according to say the Chinese Communist Party, as regards. Uh, uh, Her Majesty's Elizabeth II aircraft carrier. And I think a lot of Global South countries are now going, it's about time we have some sort of military retaliation against NATO nation governments that have been responsible for uh, arming, certainly, the airstrikes on Syria in the past few days, uh, let alone uh, airstrikes on uh, the assassinations in Iran and the airstrikes on the largest open-air prison camp in well, the world. Got to. Is Israel, in fact, bombed this week uh, Palestine, Syria, and Iraq. Uh, that's a hat trick even by their standards. What do you think is going to happen now vis-a-vis -vis this tanker? Are you expecting a military attack uh, on, on Iran? UN Special Rapporteur Michael Link called out Naftali Bennett, who has uh, become the leader of Israel. I mean, he called him out as a war criminal by definition if uh, the settlements are in violation of uh, international law. So if, he th he, if Israel thinks of retaliating, he's just compounding the crimes being committed uh, should the International Criminal Court uh, judge that Naftali Bennett is a war criminal. So it will be up to, um, up again, to these other powers to start talking back. It's certainly not going to get anything from the Biden administration. Joe Biden, how long was he in office before he bombed Syria and Iraq? Uh, let alone is now their media are complaining about the resurgence of the Mujahideen and the Taliban, formerly backed by the United States, and the fact that uh, these uh, presumably moderate Syrian levels, rebels backed by Britain and the United States are now helping the Taliban wipe out uh, uh, this civil society that uh, British troops uh, gave up their lives and, and thousands of them were wounded uh, for doing over, over 20 years. Quite so. Look, we've toured the horizon. Let's go to Edinburgh. Uh, the Honourable Craig Murray, a distinguished former British ambassador, sacked by the Blair government for, and I quote his dismissal letter, over-focusing on human rights, unquote, is tonight behind bars in a cold prison cell. 
in Sochten. It'll be some weeks, if at all, uh, before he's moved to a softer billet in perhaps uh, one of these white-collar uh, open prisons. This is an elderly man, infirm, fragile, poor health. He's behind bars, just like Julian Assange, for doing journalism. No one cares about it, Afsa. Yeah, this, I mean, this is not a free country. I mean, a lot of people are talking about Daniel Hale, who illuminated to all of us, revealed to us how U.S. drones were just killing men, women and children. And uh, I saw your film, Killing Kelly, available on Vimeo. I had to, I had to pay. I don't know what it was. Uh, it's four pound to rent, six fifty to, rent, to own. That's right. I mean, this is not a free country. We know that. We know that the uh, UN uh, Special Rapporteur on uh, Torture has talked about how Julian Assange was tortured. And I think all journalists now, all they can do when it comes to covering stories uh, related to how we live, whether it be austerity, whether it be the military industrial complex, is to dance around these uh, draconian laws that uh, uh, keep, uh, we, we keep coming up against. Uh, probably not even draconian laws here in Britain. I mean, obviously, those were the Scottish laws regarding Ambassador uh, Craig Murray. But of course, Julian Assange, technically the Espionage Act in the United States. Uh, there has to be a greater and greater understanding amongst young journalists, uh, everyone, to understand that uh, there are tricks around this that you're going to have to play, um, at least up until uh, Priti Patel uh, and Boris Johnson bring up this uh, consultation document that Johnson seems to be uh, coming back from, saying that we could be presumably imprisoned for 14 years for having this discussion. I mean, uh, it's very unclear what that consultation document on journalism uh, here in Britain uh, will mean as regards uh, legislation. It is odd, though, isn't it? Uh, I mean, even, even if you don't like Craig Murray, even if you hate everything he stands for, and that would count in that number, I would count the vast majority of British journalists and broadcasters. Can't they see the peril uh, to their profession and one day perhaps to them in a Britain where now two, Assange and Murray, journalists for doing journalism are actually thrown into a dungeon? Well, you know, I, I worked at the BBC Today programme when Andrew Gilligan was doing that story about David Kelly. I was a producer right there on the desk during that time. I went there and met Kelly. I've been around these journalists when they're trying to do something different. That all changed, uh, certainly after that. But then on the other hand, if you look at your appearances on Question Time and uh, countless BBC and Sky News uh, appearances, you know what these journalists are like. You know the class that these journalists uh, emanate from and what side they're on. I mean, it, it doesn't take too far to think that uh, many of them, in their deliberate ignoring of, uh, let alone Craig Murray, ignoring of the most famous journalist on earth, Julian Assange, would prefer him dead. Yes, uh, and uh, if we're not uh, lucky, uh, both men uh, could die behind bars. As I say, uh, uh, Craig Murray is a, a fragile man in fragile health. Uh, he's been cast into this dungeon with scarcely a single dissenting voice anywhere at all in the media. I thought your opening statement was very profound. 
This is not a free country. And yet we, all of us, have long believed that it was or wanted to believe uh, that it was. It probably never was. It certainly isn't now. I just watched, speaking of films, uh, uh, Official Secrets, the story of the heroic young woman, uh, Catherine Gunn, who confronted with clear evidence of illegal activity by the British government in the run-up to the Iraq war, uh, passed it indirectly uh, to a former associate of both of us, Yvonne Ridley, uh, who tried her best and finally, despite the efforts of the editor of The Observer and his revolting deputy, got it into the paper. Yeah, but where, she, were the, where are those guys now? I mean, everyone should see that film. Catherine Gunn, yeah, I met her. You probably know her as well. She's been on the show. I mean, she, uh, I don't think she really lives in England now. I think she lives in, in Turkey. She lives in Turkey. Yeah. Where, where are those Observer journalists gone? They went, they went higher and higher up after trying to deliberately cover up uh, information that could have stopped something that would have stopped, killed uh, a war that killed, wounded, or displaced tens of millions of people. They went up. The Observer newspaper still exists. <laughs> the pro-war Observer. You're right, they all got promoted. Uh, the only people that lost their jobs were, were Andrew Gilligan, uh, Greg Dyke, uh, Gavin Davis, uh, Piers Morgan, arguably, and me. Uh, we were the only people that lost our jobs over the Iraq war. Everyone else... I left the Today program as well. <laughs> <laughs> If Good for I you. Mean, Join this. Anyway, I mean, obviously, obviously we didn't suffer. We didn't suffer like the tens of millions of, of Iraqis, of people right across the Middle East. But of course, what I suppose amazes all of us is the same things are happening again and again and again. They happened over Libya. They happened over Syria. And now, should this... Uh, tanker attack story that the foreign office seems to be taking so seriously that the British government is going to respond in some way, the same uh, things are going to be told again. I think the people, obviously, of uh, NATO nations, again, the, the street, as they call it, I mean, they surely will not fall for this uh, another time. And I, I would hope that Boris Johnson would be loath to uh, take us into actual war. And it's all just posturing this sending around of aircraft carriers and hanging out with uh, fraudsters like Juan Guaido. Yes, but that depends on China not deciding enough is enough. And the moment may be coming uh, where China decides to make an example of one of these NATO provocateurs uh, literally sailing off their coast, bristling with weapons, perhaps even weapons of mass destruction. It, it requires some faith in China's quietude uh, to believe that you can go on doing that, don't you think? Yeah, I believe that's more to do with uh, debt financing and the fact that the Chinese Communist Party continues to buy bonds uh, on the U.S. market. Uh, I mean, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of interconnectivity and interlinkage uh, that people see as always being the thing that will stop China uh, finally uh, saying enough is enough. Well, we have to go in. And of course, as we know, uh, the way China go into Afghanistan, the way they go into Syria is, uh, is with construction and rebuilding societies, not uh, destroying uh, NATO, uh, NATO equipment, even after 
of course, the infamous destruction of their embassy in Yugoslavia in, in that uh, John Major. That. Yeah, war. that was perhaps uh, the cloud no bigger than a man's hand, which is a harbinger of great storms to come. Afsan Ratansi, host of Going Underground, the best show on RT. Thank you for joining us on the Thanks, George. of all talk shows. Let's take a call. Go ahead, Kenny. Hi, George. Yeah, I just want to talk about the trans issue that you were speaking about earlier. Yeah, I've got go a ahead. book in front of me by uh, Douglas Murray, and he's got a paragraph here. So I'd just like to redo it if that's okay. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Okay. I was standing on the corner <laughs> at a quarter. All right, get him off, get him off. He's a nutter. He's a nutter. In the UK, it's 08. 081-965-522. And in the US, it's plus one, eight four four nine four four double three double four. Virgil Marx famously said, I have principles. If you don't like them, I have others. This lies behind the poll. How much money would it take for you to sell out your principles? There really ought to have been a, an option to say never. I, of course, would have ticked that box if I had wanted to sell out my principles. I could have done so for a very, very large price. Uh, all the tea in China worth of price. Uh, a, £10,000. That was the money that uh, Piers Corbyn uh, accepted in a brown envelope, except it had been switched while his eyes were on a comely young woman. Uh, taking a selfie with him for Monopoly money. Uh, one million pounds, 45% of you, nearly half of you would sell your principles for a million pounds and see nearly half of you say, what principles? Well, there's much to discuss. Uh, I've got so much social media. I'm not going to get through it all, so my apologies if I don't get to yours. I want to cross the Atlantic and talk to my RT America colleague, Rachel Blevins, who joins us now. Rachel, welcome back on the mother of all talk shows. What happened to your flowers? Uh, we got used to admiring them uh, every week. Maybe it's in solidarity with uh, the millions of people that this evening uh, now face the risk of eviction. Almost impossible to believe. Please explain what happened. Well, speaking of selling out on your principles, George, I think that that's exactly what almost every member of Congress is looking at right now. You know, over the last year, they put in a number of policies to try to kind of help out Americans in different ways when it comes to the pandemic. One of those was a federal ban on evictions, and that ban was allowed to expire last night at midnight. Now, the problem here is that there are more than 15 million Americans who are now at risk of being evicted and losing their homes. 
And this is something that some Democrats in the House tried to bring up this week. We saw some different protests at the Capitol, but top Democrats like House Speaker Nancy Pelosi just kind of shrugged it off. She made it sound like she had only heard about this problem this week alone. Now, of course, whenever it comes to these issues like additional government aid that we've seen over the last year, that we've watched Congress kind of pull back on some of those policies, whether it's the extended unemployment benefits and things like that. So yes, at the end of the day, there does have to be a time when this ban will likely come to an end. But the problem here is that over the last year, even with those additional policies passed by Congress, we've seen more than 7.8 million Americans descend into into poverty, rather, as a result of that. So we're seeing a really big issue right now. And the way that Congress responded to it was they just threw up their hands and decided to go on vacation for the next six weeks as if it wasn't their problem. Well, Nancy Pelosi has to get back to her insider trading husband. Yeah. Uh, you can understand why uh, she was not interested. A woman that's gone from being worth uh, $14 million to $140 million during her term of office. But what about all these so-called progressives, the squad? Haven't they been jumping up and down uh, protesting about this? We have seen some protests outside of the Capitol, and it's interesting the timing on it because most people are looking at this and saying, look, it's too little too late. Their protests outside of the Capitol building aren't going to stop any evictions from happening. But I think it's interesting because Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a member of the squad, gave an interview today in which she actually pointed out that this is Democrats' fault. You know, they campaigned on getting Trump out of office. They campaigned on putting Democrats into power in the House, in the Senate, and in the White House. They accomplished that. And yet, right now, they can't do something as little as extending a ban on evictions when you're talking about 15 million Americans that are being put at risk. Not a good look for the Democrats going into 2024 at all. In fact, uh, like the uh, other farm animals in Animal Farm, uh, I'm looking through the window at American politics. I'm looking from pig to man and man to pig and pig back to man and finding it impossible to tell the difference between the two. Uh, if we look at the threat to attack Iran made by your Secretary of State this very evening, uh, if we look at the attitude uh, of Donald Trump to Saudi Arabia, to the Yemen war, uh, to the uh, crimes being committed against the Palestinian people, towards Cuba, towards Venezuela. If I look at all the foreign policy uh, rafts, I see no difference between uh, pig and man. And now, yeah. uh, when I'm looking at the domestic situation through the window, I'm still seeing no difference. Oh, absolutely. And I think that this is one of those cases where we've learned over the last 20 years Congress has been reminded that it doesn't matter if they sell us a fake war on terrorism. It doesn't matter if they pass bills that literally allow them to spy on us in the name of patriotism. It doesn't matter if they allow 15 million Americans to be evicted. Clearly, these members of Congress are not concerned at all about being reelected themselves. I mean, you would think that they would want to make sure that they were doing everything in their power to fight for the American people who voted them into office, who support them at the end of the day, yet they don't seem to be concerned at all. But 
when you look at Congress getting together every single year and passing, you know, $700 billion in defense spending, they magically do it without a single debate, without any argument on their end. And yet it's those two parties that seem to be so different that somehow magically come together because that is where their loyalties lie. And they have proven that over and over again. Yeah, and got reelected uh, over and over again. Whether this will change in this cycle uh, remains to be seen. They haven't given up on trying to put Donald Trump out of the game, have they? Uh, they're, now, uh, they're now on his tax issues. What can you tell us about that? Well, I know if you've paid attention to U.S. politics over the last few years, you've probably heard about Donald Trump's tax returns a few dozen times. Now it looks like the Department of Justice, now that it's under President Biden, is going to move forward with forcing the IRS to turn over those tax returns to Congress, Congress is going to try to see if they can get some sort of conviction to stick against Trump for tax fraud, insurance fraud, and banking fraud. Now, this is against both Trump and his organization. The thing to remember here that's actually really notable is that let's say that they charge Trump, let's say that they convict him and they send him off to prison. Well, guess what? He can still run again in 2024. He can campaign from behind prison bars if that's what it takes. Now, what the Democrats are hoping for, of course, is that if they can get some kind of a conviction to stick, that that will hurt him enough politically that Americans will look at him and say, well, we don't want to send him to the White House again because then it's just going to be this ongoing political struggle and that's all that he's going to focus on is the politics of it for, you know, the four years that he's in office. But you also have to look at the other section of the American population, which says that when you see this resistance movement against him, when you see this pressure built up against him, that makes them support him that much more. He's still in command of the Republican Party, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. And I think they have yet to put up another challenger, so to speak, that will really take him on, especially when it comes to fundraising. And so we're going to continue to see this kind of battle back and forth. But what's interesting is he hasn't yet officially thrown his hat in the ring for 2024. But I, I mean, I think that's only a matter of time until we see him do that, especially if it's one of those cases where Congress really tries to bring a case against him, then he is going to go right back against them that much further. Now, I, I forced myself to read 1,660 words in the New York Times today, uh, telling me that it was really not that important that America, which used to dominate the medal table at the Olympic Games, now very definitely doesn't. How have the people in the U.S. adjusted to the fact that in the Olympic Games, at least, they're no longer king? You know, it's been a really bizarre week when it comes to the Olympics. I know that there was a lot of news about gymnast Simone Biles. And what was almost the, all the more bizarre was how angry people were with her for saying that she wasn't going to compete in certain competitions, for saying that she was going to put her mental health first. And I think that this should bring up a much bigger conversation about just how the U.S. handles these sports and specifically how they handle gymnastics. Because we have to remember that Simone Biles is one of the more than 150 young girls 
who was sexually abused by Larry Nasser. And not only did the entire Olympic committee, when it comes to you know gymnastics here in the United States, not only did they allow for that to happen, but we're now learning new reports, finding out that the FBI also allowed it to happen. Now, why they would do such a thing is absolutely insane all around, but I think that it's really going to bring the United States to a place where we have to look at exactly how we handle these Olympic games. And you know what? If we're in a place where it is costing us gold medals, then that's that's on the U.S., I think, whenever, you know, it comes to something like this. Lastly, it's only just broken, uh, and I, you may not be across it, but uh, Blinken has found Iran guilty uh, without a trial of having attacked an Israeli-owned tanker in the Persian Gulf and promised an appropriate response. If you know about it, what do you think he means by that? Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You know, we've watched the United States government continue to use these claims of all options are on the table when it comes to Iran, when it comes to Venezuela. I mean, in terms of what the Biden administration means, exactly like you said, there is yet to be any kind of trial. We don't know what sort of evidence they're dealing with, or we don't know whether they're just going on the claims of their super close ally, Israel. So I think that we're going to continue to hear more from them. But for Blinken to make a statement like that, should be concerning to many Americans, especially as they're looking at those tensions that we've seen between the U.S. and Iran, and especially as they're looking at that hope that they had for the Biden administration to secure the nuclear deal, to have some sort of peace with Iran. Now they're going in the opposite. It's also a reminder that, as we've been talking about here, it's not all that different from what the Trump administration did. No, not at all. Uh, And of course, if someone wanted to stop any rapprochement between Iran and the United States, if they wanted to stop the United States rejoining the uh, nuclear deal, well, they'd attack an Israeli tanker uh, just to scupper it all, wouldn't they? (laughs) That they would. And we also have to remember that Israel has repeatedly warned the the Biden administration not to go back to that deal. I mean, they've been the first people saying no talks, no deal whatsoever. And so it is interesting that that's where the blame gets pushed immediately before we've had time to look at any sort of evidence. I said lastly, but this is really lastly. Uh, What about appointing Juan Guaido as the president of Peru? After all, the U.S. can't fancy the guy that was elected to the job. You know, that sounds exactly like something they would do to throw out some kind of puppet who is exactly in line with the CIA and who does not have public support. I mean, in this day and age, that would not surprise me one bit. Nor me, Rachel Blevins. Thanks for joining us on the Mother of All Talk Shows. 
Let's take some calls. Rose is in Philadelphia. How could I refuse? Rose, welcome. Hi, good evening, Mr. Galloway. Good evening. Uh, last time I talked to you, good evening. Last time I talked to you was your 100th episode during the um, it was a great occasion, of course, your 100th episode, but it yes. was during the Israeli war on Gaza. And just recently... Well, some things never change, been... Rose. Of course. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, but yes, I was calling you today to speak about Lebanon. I mean, it has just been a ticking time bomb for even since before the pandemic since before the tragic explosion. And just recently, about one week ago, the Lebanese Prime Minister resigned, actually blaming Hezbollah and blaming um, anybody else affiliated with Hezbollah and then concluding with, God help the country. So, of course, he's probably going to go into exile somewhere and not handle any of the responsibilities, uh, but it's only, of course, going to worsen the sectarian divisions in Lebanon because, you know, many of the Sunni Muslims will likely remain loyal to the Hariri family and the Shia Muslims will remain loyal to Hezbollah. And it's just going to keep getting worse, the divisions, unless the Lebanese people unite and create a government of their own making, but we don't know how that's well. I think that's really that's, uh, that's brilliantly summarised. It was, of course, the Christian president of Lebanon uh, that uh, forced the prime minister's resignation by demanding that fraud on a an epic, globally epic uh, level inside the Bank of Lebanon, uh, which has played a part in the economic collapse of the country. The Prime Minister was resisting any such investigation uh, of the governor of the bank. But the resignation was carefully coordinated, as was the shooting uh, on a very massive funeral today, uh, uh, of uh, a leading uh, figure, supporter of Hezbollah. Somebody somewhere is trying to light a fire, Rose. Absolutely. And it's uh, going to... The corruption is just absolutely rampant from, uh, from these outside influences. And Lebanon is also just recently still... Um, started to suffer from wildfires in the north. And speaking of investigating corrupt officials, the uh, families of the victims of the August 4th explosion last year were attacked during their demonstration to try and get those officials held accountable and to trial. So that is another huge issue that is yet to be addressed and is still yes. being There are up. a lot of fuses uh, burning their way towards the explosives. Thanks, Rose. In Philadelphia, let's take Sarkar in Glasgow. Go ahead, Sarkar. Hi, George. Good evening. Really nice to see you keep, keep healthy. And you, thank you. Nice to hear your voice again. Go on. Oh, thanks. George, I have a small question, not a small question. Actually, it's about Afghanistan. Yes. This is 20 years of the anniversary of 
the bombing of Afghanistan since 2001. Started with George Bush era, then Obama carried on, and right now Biden is saying he'll withdraw all the troops. I'm not a fan of uh, Taliban, I must clearly say that. But I need to ask you one question, George. Trillions of dollars lost, countless lives lost. For supposedly the bombing started 20 years ago to remove Taliban to instill democracy. Now, this is today's news. Taliban have gained ground so much in Afghanistan. And you know what happened a few days ago? Some of the Afghan soldiers were running helter-skelter to other countries. 20 years of bombing. God knows how many lives lost. Trillions of dollars, which could have been invested in food, education, jobs. This is the condition of the country. And the same goes for Iraq and Libya. What's going on with our Western policies, George? Well, uh, they are, of course, disastrous for all but a few. Uh, the military-industrial complex has profited mightily. Uh, the politicians that suck on the teat of the military-industrial complex have uh, become uh, bloated and uh, probably not sated. Uh, and the uh, people of the countries you refer to have paid uh, with their lives in, in the number of millions. And if you include the maimed and the wounded and the disturbed and the destruction of property and infrastructure, uh, this has been 20 years of unmitigated disaster. And the politicians who embarked upon it are all still cock of the walk, Sarka. George Bush is getting medals. Tony Blair is on television daily, almost, opining about everything from, from COVID-19 to uh, the situation in Africa and so on. The people responsible for what has been a cataclysmic disaster have all been enriched and promoted. And that makes it somehow even more difficult to swallow. As I predicted 20 years ago, uh, the people we were driving out of power in Afghanistan would drive right back into power in Afghanistan as soon as we withdrew from Afghanistan. All that money and all that ocean of blood has all been entirely wasted. Sarkar, thanks uh, for the call. Let me squeeze in what I can here. Uh, Gerard White on an email says, the video evidence about slavery in Tibet before the Chinese invasion is too horrific to show. To suffice to say, the Tibetans were the worst slave masters ever, including the Dalai Lama. And uh, Futso uses my Groucho Marx quote, these are my principles. If you don't like them, I have others. You can still vote, by the way. How much money would it take for you to sell out your principles? You can vote on my Twitter feed. Let's hear from Alison in London. Go ahead, Alison. Good evening, George. Nice to hear from you. Um, yeah, you too. Um, love your show. Um, I'm calling about the abominable act of the incarceration of Julian Assange and Craig Murray. Yeah. They're both um, in jail because of political vendettas by yeah. the U.S. and Nicola Sturgeon. They're both peaceful intellectuals and journalists, and like intellectuals, like they do to intellectuals in rogue states, they get silenced. 
as threats to the systems now in place. Now, you spoke of Malthusian theorists behind the New World Agenda earlier. We've just had the biggest transfer of wealth to the elite in modern history. How can this be useful to the WEF's stated aims of sustainable development? Um, we're being put in poverty and slavery system. In London, we've still got Roman plumbing, it seems. And in the Pacific, the great plastic patches. You can walk for miles on that, Greta. Um, so uh, we need change, and we need to uh, get out of this um, basically planet prison that they're going to put us in, where we're um, going to have a digital ID wallet tied to a vaccine passport, tied to a UBI, so Jeff Bezos can buy more phallic space rockets to fly 53 mil- miles above the Earth. The well, I, 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 couldn't, the uh, I couldn't put it better than that, Alison. I won't try to. <laughs> uh, the only thing I'd add is uh, if he does go into space, I hope he keeps on travelling. Uh, thank That's you. That's what I thought too. Thank but you. really, George, the elephant in the room is war. Yes. Yeah? Yes. You've noted tonight many times, and so has um, my heartthrob Ashvin Ratanzi, um, that war is, we're on a war footing at the moment. And the US is the biggest polluter on, US military is the biggest polluter on Earth. Yeah? So none of the sustainable goals, development goals of the WEF or um, Klaus Schwab or any or Greta or any of them, XR, Extinction Rebellion, mention war as the biggest threat to people and the planet these days. And who alerted us to this was Julian Assange. And where is he? Silenced in a solitary confinement in prison. And I just want to call on people who are reasonable, good, moral people to come to the U.S. appeal on the grounds, the US, the preliminary hearing for the US to appeal the grounds on which they refused extradition on August the 11th at the Royal Courts of Justice in London. If you're in London, please come, just stand there and show them that you're opposed to this persecution of Julian Assange. That was, that was yeah. uh, such a good call. I'm going to forgive you for naming Afsan as your heartthrob. Thanks very much for the call. You know, and it's a very, thank you for, you know, I, I'm a big fan of your show, Gigi. Great, great debate, great. And I'm Scottish. I'm very passionate about what's happening there, you know. I had a great mom. She was Scottish, Mary McLeod. She taught me well. She taught me well at everything, including golf. I love Scotland and I love the Scottish food. It's great food. I said to Melania, you know, haggis, look at that. What's more than, more Scottish than that? Me. I am that haggis. She said, what, thin-skinned and full of crap? On the poll, how many children does Boris Johnson actually have? Vob says it's at least eight. Also worth remembering that the one before his first with his wife, Carrie, he refused to support the child until ordered to do so by court of law. And uh, Sabat says, true, but what a machine he is. Must be eight, minimum. And Mary, MD, says, why does it matter? As long as he can afford them, that's fine by me. It's no one's business anyway. If that's all people have got to worry about, then lucky them. I'm not sure that's entirely true, Mary, really. Because, first of all, uh, depending on how many it is, six, seven, eight or more, uh, the prime ministerial salary of £150,000, less than a headmaster of a big school anywhere in Britain, uh, will be insufficient to keep him. 
Uh, that will force them either into corrupt and corrupting relationships with rich men, or it will force them to have to give up his job. Trust me, I know about alimony. Alimony is very, very expensive, and it's forever. And Boris Johnson's children and ex-wives uh, are such uh, that the impact on his ability to do his job as Prime Minister is obvious. It's also the case that siblings should not be unknown to each other. Siblings should not have each other concealed from them. Siblings should not be conceived uh, from other people's wives and then denied until proven in court. So, Mary, I get where you're coming from, but I'm not sure that it is entirely true uh, that it is nobody's business but his. Anyway, my next guest was the Messi of English football back in the day. He even looked like Messi, still does to some extent. He's got the elixir of youth. Last time I saw him was at the Premier of the aforementioned Killing Kelly. The former Manchester City and multiple other sides is now a football agent. He's also a good friend of mine, and that's more important. I welcome him back to the mother of all talk shows. Barry, thanks for joining us. You're looking wonderful. And Thank you, somebody Kevin, there. Lovely to speak to you. Um, how has the Olympic Games done it for you? Have you paid any attention? I couldn't tell you the name of one single medal winner. Are you following it? I've got to say very, very, very little. Up until this this one, I think I've probably followed everyone really closely. There just seems to be a lack of something. I'm not sure what it is. Um, what there definitely is a lack of, I'm sure that Boris Johnson's not a machine. That's a certainty. <laughs> <laughs> um, there just seems to be a lack, George. I, I'm not... I don't know how to put my finger on it. I don't know if it's concentration. I don't know whether it, it hasn't received, for sure, in my opinion, the amount of publicity it's received in the past. It used to be huge, George, didn't it? You know, when we were building up to the Olympics, going back to the days, I mean, I'm going back to, to the days of Linford Christie and then moving on to all these amazing athletes that took part in it. Going back to when I was a little child and you had people like, Bruce Tullow running with bare feet. And it, the Olympics was amazing. Jim Ryan, the 1,500-metre runner, then going through to the Usain Bolts of this world. It really was a spectacle with f absolutely fantastic um, a, a camaraderie amongst the athletes. There was an amazing amount of media coverage. The media coverage seems to have disappeared. And... Sadly, the coverage on COVID seems to have taken over from the me media coverage of the Olympics. It's It's gone into the background, George, and, and I've got to say that I'm a little bit like you. I can only tell you a few people that have won the gold medals. It just, the names are not there. The media coverage is not there. The publicity is not there. And the household names. George, we remember some great household names in the Olympics. I can go Name right back. Do you remember Mary Rand? Mary oh, Rand. Mary Rand, I, yeah. I, I, I loved her. 
yeah. and 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 so many Flojo, you remember Florence? Flojo, Flojo Joiner, Zola Bud with no shoes on. Zola like, Bud, exactly. You know, uh, um, it was amazing. Uh, Jim Ryan, I remember. Uh, yeah, yeah. Very, thin, very, very. And John Carlos, of course, with the great yeah, uh, yeah. salute with the band Shoe and yeah. the clenched fist and so on. Now let's let's unpackage this then, Barry, because you're right. The coverage of the Olympic Games is vastly less than it was. I mentioned last week the BBC that used to be the go-to uh, for the Olympic Games has been outbid by the Discovery Channel. Now it's allowed only a license uh, for one sport at a time, whereas they used to have these split screens and. Let's yeah. go to the javelin while we wait for the yeah. for the yeah. for the running to start and so on. All of that's gone. It's gone. Therefore, yeah. the the names which might otherwise be big, who knows? Uh, some of the athletes that are there, if the coverage had been there, might have impacted on our consciousness. But because the coverage has not, then they uh, have not. Now, why is that? Apart from that BBC problem. Is there just too much going on, Barry? Is there? Is it that we, we used to all watch one or two TV stations? Now we don't. Well, we've got so many, George, and I tell you a thing that I don't think has helped. And you know, my main sport, as you know, is football, mm -hmm. and I was a footballer for many, many, many years. I've been an agent for many years. I was a coach. I was an assistant manager, et cetera, et cetera. One of the problems that happened, and it was, a, in my opinion, it's caused the problem now. It's, you know, when you get the bounce back effect, I think this has been a bit of a bounce back effect where all the games were postponed or they were cancelled for the COVID situation. And then we had almost every day of the week two or three Premier League games, non-stop. And even people I know in football, and even me, I was getting sick of watching the games, and it's my job. And I was getting fed up. There was just too much going on. All of a sudden, the season's ended. There's been a slight break, very short break. What's come through is the Olympic Games with no real build-up, George. No real publicity, because the publicity was still going on sport-wise about the football right up until maybe five, six weeks ago. Then the Euros took over, which is, you know, very unusual to have the Euros going at more or less the same time of the Olympics. So it was the football's coming home, football's coming home. Everything was centred around football. And I think that's where the Olympics went missing. Yes, I agree. With the stations, there only used to be a couple of stations, but I think too much was going on football-wise, which has taken an enormous amount of interest in this country with people. Too much was going on with the Premier League, with the games going on in the Premier League, three games a day in some cases, six o'clock kickoff, eight o'clock kickoff, ten o'clock kickoff. It was madness. And then we went straight from that into the Euros. And I think people have gone, hold on a minute, I need a rest from sport. And the <laughs> Not me. I'm dying for the season to start, Barry. Yeah, yeah but that's football, George. <laughs> that's different. That's yeah. <laughs> and, and I think that the media coverage just never got there. Never it took off, no. It was centred around football. And then before we knew where we were, 
the Olympics are on top of us. And I know two, I won't name them, two chairmen. When I said to them a few weeks ago, are you going to watch the Olympic Games? And both of them in different ways of saying it. So why is it on? Yeah. They didn't even know. I swear they didn't even know. It's amazing. Yeah, no, I, I, I felt that way myself. One other difference amongst many is that there's no audience in the stadium. Uh, Japan, no. Japan is exceedingly nervous about the Olympic Games being there. Most Japanese people wanted them postponed again for a second time. If football's nothing without the fans, although I actually quite enjoyed it, whether the fans were there or not, but that's the cliche. Uh, maybe it's the same for athletics. Yeah, George, I've got to say, I'm not disagreeing with you. A big part of athletics is the atmosphere. We know it's the same with football. So when you play football, when there's no atmosphere, it gets a bit like a training game. I believe a lot of football results this year would never have gone that way had there been a crowd there. But there wasn't. And I think athletes is the same. There's no crowd. There's there's no atmosphere. Um, but what's really strange, George, is all the athletes are mixing together. You know, yeah. when you get 15 athletes racing together all in the dressing rooms, they're all together. And they're hugging the each other when they win. <laughs> they're waiting till they're out of sight, George. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're not allowed to uh, fraternise in the Olympic Village in the way that allegedly they did in the past. Uh, I'll tell you one thing, another thing that's different. I know this because I read 1,600 words in the New York Times this morning telling us that winning a lot of medals at the Olympic Games doesn't matter anymore. That's because America, which used to dominate uh, the medals table, uh, no longer does. Who is dominating it? As, I've not watched it, so, I mean, You've who's got a bit doing of everyone, well? George. How, how, how is Britain doing? Yeah, we're lying sixth in the gold medal table at the minute. Well, that's not bad. Which is not bad, but there's no real athletes yet. It's been the, the swimmers and the dancers and jumping up and down. <laughs> you know, it's been everything really by the athletes. My whole, whole scene when I loved um, athletics was the running. It wasn't about, for me anyway, it wasn't about the swimming and the rowing. And, and the skateboarding. The yeah, it wasn't about all that. For me, it was about the athletes, the running, 100 metres, 200 metres, 400 metres. I, I think we're going to... The mile, the relay. Yes, what it was, George. Yeah, 4 by 100 4 by 200 4 by 440 I don't think we're going to be winning any of them, but we are lying six. I think we've got, up until tonight, about 10 gold medals, which is which is not bad, but then go and name them, George. Yeah. You know, once upon a time, I bet if I'd have said to you 10 gold medal at this time, you'd have named six of them yeah. at least. Yeah. You wouldn't even name one now that's taken part, let alone that's won a gold medal, which is quite a sad indictment, I think, of the way these games are, the publicity they've received, which is almost zero. And I think America, I think that in a, in a way, they're saying they don't matter I think it's because they haven't received the publicity that they would normally have received. And I think what they're saying is, well, it's not as big as usual. Yes, I agree with you. They, they're not winning the goals, but they normally didn't win the goals till they got to the, to the running anyway. But they're not even winning that at the minute. It's just a real 
strange Olympic Games. Strange atmosphere. Yeah, a lot of things have been strange. I mean, George, I went to a few football matches. It was the strangest thing I've ever known to sit there. No one was near me. I mean, you're looking around and thinking, am I actually at a game or am I a training game? Because it reminded me of when I used to go to training games, reminded me when Terry Venables a lot, he used to play a lot of his games on the Crystal Palace football pitch and on Queen's Park Rangers football pitch. He was a great believer of of using the pitch as much as you can when you were playing a first team versus reserves. And that was played when obviously with no one there. These games were very similar. I've gone to, I went to two games and it was like being back to when I was a player, when you were playing against your reserve team on a Thursday morning in a 30-minute each-way game. Very strange, George. And the Olympics has taken on a very similar handle. And it's not great, is it, really? It's no, uh, otherwise our conversation would have been, would have been different. Uh, as you've mentioned, the actual real game... Is Harry Kane going to City? You know, in football, nothing surprises you, yeah? There is nothing surprises you. That would really surprise me if he went there. Oh, yeah? I'd be surprised if they bought him. The reason being, they'd have to change the way they play. I've looked at all Pep Guardiola's teams, and the one thing he has, the, the striker, is always very, very quick over 10 or 15 yards. He had Aguero. He's got Jesus. He loves quick players. The one thing Harry Kane hasn't got is any pace over 15 yards. Therefore, if they bought him, two things would have to... uh, Either one of these two things would have to happen. One, he would have to change the way that he played, the system they play. Two, the biggest change would be he would have to play with another player up front with him. So they'd go back to how it was when I used to play the game where there was two strikers... They would have to go back to that because he doesn't suit Kevin De Bruyne. He doesn't suit Mares. He doesn't suit those type of players because they all like playing little balls behind defenders for the striker to spin and get onto. That's not what Harry Kane's game is. So if they buy him, listen, I think Harry Kane's a brilliant striker. Yeah, Don't yeah. get me wrong. Me too. But it's, it's horses for courses, isn't it? It's like... You know, I've had racehorses all my life. Certain jockeys are brilliant over five furlongs. They're not so clever in mile and a half races. And I look at Harry Kane, the way that Tottenham play, they've built their whole team around him the last four or five years. Everything's been built around Harry Kane. That wouldn't happen at Man City. And I think if they did buy him, I don't think he would be the... I know it sounds ridiculous because he'd be in a far better team. I don't think he'd be the same player as he's been at Tottenham. And also, he's the star at Tottenham. He won't be the star at Manchester City, far from it. So, sometimes you think, well, is this a good move? My own opinion, I say nothing surprises me in football, but I don't think and I can't see Man City buying him. Always consult the oracle. I just have. Barry Silkman, (laughs) thanks for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Comrade, tired of being trapped in mainstream media? Join the revolution with mother of all talk shows. Has been instrumental in making brain and heart of people stronger, like kettlebell for mind. Don't be brainwashed, CC. 
an open mind to new way of thinking. If you don't know how, George will teach you. If you won't learn, he will make you. <laughs> Speak to Comrade Galloway if you think you're hard enough on the mother of all talks. We're joined by a definite gold medal media winner. Patrick Christie's I have known since he was a young boy. You may say he's still a young boy, but he's destined for great things. And we've been lucky enough to interview him many times. Patrick, you, uh, welcome uh, to the show. Now, let me justify why I ran a poll today, this evening, uh, on Boris Johnson's baby. I congratulated him and his missus. Uh, any birth is a, is a gift, is a, is a blessing. Uh, but if it's true, and most of our viewers and listeners think it was true, uh, that this man now has at least eight children mm. to keep, at least two alimony bills mm. to pay, it is undoubtedly true that he'll find that difficult to do yeah. on 150 grand less tax, uh, because you get no tax relief for child benefits, uh, child payments, maintenance, and alimony. So none of them will be able to go to private school. He won't be able to go on any luxury holidays, which means one of two things. Either the Prime Minister will have to step down and go and earn big money, or he lays himself open to corrupting assistance from rich people. Yeah. Where do you stand on that? Well, I think it'll probably be the latter. Uh, Boris Johnson already has quite a wealthy cabal of donors, both personal and to the party, and those donors, some of them have seen quite significant rewards, i.e. finding their way into the House of Lords or whatever. And so I think Boris Johnson is viewed as gettable by a lot of people, and indeed he is gettable by a lot of people. Uh, even if you look at some of, um, you know, for example, Carrie at the moment, she doesn't have inexpensive tastes. So, you know, this is going to be an issue for him. There are constantly the drip, drip, drip in the media of whether or not Boris Johnson can afford to continue to be Prime Minister. He's got a really interesting personal battle now. For a man who's only ever singularly wanted to be Prime Minister for power, not because of some kind of deep-seated ideology that wants to make the country better. Just that, that to hold that great office of state and to get two fingers up to some of the other people in the bully and two, two fingers up to some of the people like you, David Cameron's of this world. He now has a difficult decision whether or not he continues with that or whether he opens himself up to essentially influence from some very wealthy donors. And does that not demean the great office of state that the Prime Minister is? And so I think that's kind of where he's at. And indeed it is already happening in a way. What will be fascinating is how long that goes on for before actually, you know, it kind of is outed and indeed there is any discrepancies there. The other big question is, how much good to those people is Boris Johnson when he isn't Prime Minister? What can he really do for them when he isn't Prime Minister? And given that we're really tightening now the lobbying laws around what former Prime Ministers can do, it's going to be interesting to see how that one pans out. And if you have to leave office under a cloud because of, say, a scandal that someone disreputable paid your kids eaten fees, which yeah. are not inconsiderable, I yeah. understand, uh, then you're even less useful after you leave office yeah. uh, to such people. One man who doesn't have to worry about any of these things, partly because he's led a blameless life, but mainly because he's a billionaire or married to one, uh, is Rishi Sunak. Yeah. Now, there are reports that Rishi had a meeting this week yeah. with uh, Lytton Crosby, the current Prime Minister's election guru. Mm. Uh, 
What might they have been discussing? Well, it's interesting because I've heard on and off for the last couple of years that Lindsay and Boris have had in themselves a bit of an on-off relationship, OK? And so actually that's quite interesting. That might be interesting to see where the line currently lies there and where, how good their relationship is at the moment. Certainly you don't want Lindsay and Crosby going against you. At times, Lindsay and Crosby has not been Boris Johnson's favourite person and vice versa. Richie Sunak is obviously a man on manoeuvres. He is deemed to be quite squeak, squeaky clean or very squeaky clean. He is deemed to be a bit more down with the kids, as it were. I think what also Richie Sunak is starting to do is position him himself, you know, as kind of opposing Boris on certain lockdown strategies, opposing Boris on various things like that. And so actually, he's opening up that gap a little bit. And I do wonder whether or not we're going to start seeing that kind of famous Blair Brown rift that we had uh, all those years ago. Richie Sunak clearly is a bloke there who I think actually a lot of Conservatives would quite like, not because he's deemed to be, you know, particularly popular in the back benches or anything like that, but I think if you look at the level of civil liberties and the level that Boris Johnson has taken off people and the level of disappointment that this so-called libertarian has dished out to the libertarian wing of the Tory party, they're now so angry with Boris Johnson that they might not come back to him. And at least Rishi Sunak will be out of the kind of coffee-sneezy woods of the coronavirus restrictions by the time that he emerges. Also, another element of it is the Conservative Party and members in it love sticking it to Labour when they go, well, we've had two female leaders. Well, how good would it be if you had the first ethnic minority prime minister as well? That would be another stick that they could beat the Labour Party with. It could be uh, the British Obama. The British Obama, yeah. I mean, he is quite a cool dude in a, in, for, for a Conservative. <laughs> you know, in that, in that sense, he wears a hoodie, and I think that's basically... He wears a hoodie, he wears sneakers. <laughs> yeah. I saw a picture of him in Glasgow uh, yeah. the, the, the other day. How is it going on, the, on this front that you refer to, this libertarian versus authoritarian, push me, pull yeah. me, uh, we veered one way, then the other, then back again. Um, are they really going to try and introduce a vaccine passport? Well, this is interesting, right, because I think for far too long, Boris Johnson, and this really, I think, started with Dominic Cummings, although it's taken a different stance now, which is they were ruled by the opinion polls, OK? But I think all too often now, there's been a massive discrepancy between the opinion polls and what reality is. So I saw an opinion poll published in The Guardian yesterday, 95% of UK adults still wear masks in public. That overtly isn't true. That overtly is not true. You go I up and down the country, I can uh, see that's not true. It's absolute. Yeah. B O double L O C K S. But that's the kind of data that maybe Boris Johnson is basing his opinions on. And when it comes to things like, you know, you'll see polls, 58% of people want the continuation of the coronavirus restrictions. I don't really believe that that's actually true. And if this is where he's making his decisions from now, you only have to see if he's looking at data on vaccine passports that he could have that stance. What we're seeing now on vaccine passports is the, the demand for the recall of Parliament over this, right? And I think, yeah, absolutely has to. It's such a massive issue, right? Now, I think that you're going to end up seeing about at least 40 Conservative MPs vote against. You've obviously got the Lib Dems, you've got the Labour Party as well. Um, so, so there is now cross-party support. You're also seeing Conservative MPs saying they're not going to go to Tory party conference if they have to have vaccine passports as well. That's more of a symbolic gesture than, than the fact that Steve Baker won't be there to give a speech. I'm not sure people are going to lose too much sleep over that. But... They're already actually introducing it by stealth anyway. There's already an allocation on uh, the coronavirus app, which is a vaccine passport angle of it. Also, one of the big issues, and I think this is uh, quite a massive problem, is that I think, I suspect that they're going to end up linking the vaccine passport to things like government-sponsored fitness apps that give you, give, give you incentives if you do the right amount of steps and things like that. And that's being mooted that that, that, that could happen. I worry that we're going to create a two-tier society here because you're going to end up with people who either had an adverse reaction to the first coronavirus jab and are therefore being 
being told not to get the second. People who, for whatever reason, simply can't. And also, there is people, there are people out there who just genuinely don't want it, and they should still be allowed to go about their business, in my opinion. You know, they shouldn't be end, end up being shackled to, to you know, Chris Ritchie's radiator in his basement, you know? People are biddable. Uh, we know now that uh, uh, Piers Corbyn's price, right. uh, we now know that. Uh, Which is not that much, actually. <laughs> rather cheap. If they'd known they could have them for 10,000, they would have done it long ago. Um, but people are biddable. You're going to get an Uber, you're going to get a, a Burger King, you're going to... Uh, I mean, isn't this all just scaremongering to drive people into the well, injection. Uh, and so this is the other area where it all falls down, because you end up with Dominic Raab, who to me always looks like a rabbit just before you hit it with your car, right? And he, he was there saying, oh, well, actually, you know what, we only said, we we're only talking about vaccine passports for kids because then we're going to get the 18 to 30-year-olds sign up. And they were like, why have you just said that, Dom? Our plan's been blown out of the water. But that's kind of the point, isn't it? And I think that's a real issue. This is the kind of, like, the parent-child relationship that the state doesn't need to adopt with us, OK? Where they go, well, look, we'll just threaten them with this. And then, and then we'll hope that they end up doing the right thing. They're already apparently maybe rowing back on things like university students needing to be double-jabbed to go into campus and be in halls of residence. They've just said, well, we didn't rule it out. OK, fine, but I don't think people respond too well to this level of coercion and, and trickery, I think, a lot of the time. Here's a call uh, from Amin in London. Go ahead, Amin. Yeah, hi, George. Hi. Look, George, I just wanted to make a point. I mean, this issue with uh, Pierre Corbyn, the way he was uh, sort of cornered by these, uh, by these journalists, I, mean, I'm a, I think it's a little bit underhand the way, they were, the way these uh, journalists uh, operate. It did really remind me of... Um, uh, I don't know if you remember the issue of the fake shake back in the years, uh, back in the Very day. Very well, um, uh, he tried and failed to hoodwink me. Yes, yeah, absolutely. I still yeah, I think I should really sue fun. Rupert Murdoch over it, but never mind. Go on. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's hardly the catch of the year, right? Um, with Piers no, it's Corbyn, not, it's not the catch of the year, but I'm pretty sure he's very embarrassed about it. Yeah, and, you know, who's to say? Uh, you know, I mean, maybe he had uh, an intention to go and um, uh, once this so-called deal had been sealed, to go and actually expose these uh, uh, these uh, journalists themselves. You know, I mean, we just can't say. It's just well, a if you, real shame. if you believe that, I mean, I've got a bridge here in London I could sell you, going very cheap. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> No, look, I, I mean, I have no animus towards Piers Corbyn, but yeah. he's been a complete fool, hasn't yeah. he, Patrick? Look, he, he has. I, I think one thing that stood out for me is that Piers Corbyn probably needs money, right? And I suspect that's where he's this... He's as really poor as a church mouse. Right, and so I think there's an element of that. In that sense, I felt a bit sorry for him. I do think that that, that is the price he's obviously paid for his principles. He is obviously a little bit kooky and out there anyway. What I will say, though, is that I think there's a wider issue here, which I think it's done quite a lot of damage to the credibility of people who are just genuinely sceptical about these vaccines, who do want to see more long-term data, who do, for whatever reason, personally, through no kind of being... without being an anti-vaxxer, right, do just want maybe a little bit more information about it or are a bit fearful about it. Now, it's very easy to shepherd them into the Piers Corbyn bracket, isn't it? And, and you do wonder what damage that, that him, you know, his, his actions have done to them, you know? I mean, last word to you. Yeah, I mean, I'm really uh, at a loss to, uh, uh, to sort of understand who, who really um, uh, gets damaged by this. Was it actually this uh, Piers Corbyn or was it his brother, Jeremy Corbyn? No, I, I, you know? Jeremy's nothing like that. Uh, would never have done that. Uh, would never have sold out 
Uh, Jeremy's nothing uh, like that. But on the other hand, Jeremy's got money uh, and Piers doesn't have money. And I, I think that's what uh, drove it. Uh, but uh, I should say uh, that the money was being given for the campaign. Uh, it wasn't necessarily going to end up on Piers Corbyn's dinner table. Uh, but this group was being cheered to the echo uh, by the same people rubbishing them now when they lured Katie Hopkins to some European capital and gave her the TWAT award. And she flew there and accepted it and gave an acceptance speech, not realizing that these chaps had hoodwinked her. So, you know, you can, you can run with the hare or the hounds, but you can't really run with both. I mean, thanks uh, very much uh, for that call. Uh, what else is happening then uh, media-wise? Um, I see that the owners uh, of GB News may be interested in making a bid for Channel 4 News. Uh, for Channel 4? Yeah. It came as a big surprise to people when I revealed quite recently that the public has to pay for Channel 4. What's the earthly justification of taking our money to pay Channel 4 that very few of us watch and some of us are driven into apoplexy if we do. Yeah, well, that's absolutely right. I think from a big commercial perspective, it's an interesting one for, for, for um, the, the owners of GB News and Discovery and Disney and all that to do because it diversifies the brand as well, and I think you, you can see why that would make sense. I think Channel 4 has got a huge amount of potential. There's a lot of elements of Channel 4 that you could see there could actually work, and it's not being done. I think a part of it is because it's not overtly 100% a commercial enterprise, right? Uh, and I think that's, that would add a bit of pressure, and it would also give a bit of impetus to them. I think they've gone a bit up themselves, for want of a better phrase, and they've become a little bit too artsy and too flouncy, and a little bit like the BBC. They almost don't have to care about ratings because they know the funding's coming and they know there's a certain amount of people who watch them all the time anyway. And actually, if they had to bow down in the face of commercial pressures, and dare I say it as well, maybe be given a bit of a kick at the backside from people across the pond there in America to actually deliver on that kind of thing, then maybe we would see a better product. Fundamentally, I do think that the, actually the overall landscape of the British media now is potentially looking pretty good because you're getting loads of pressure on the BBC from your stream you like to see Netflix, etc. They're going to have to start doing something about that if they want to exist, frankly, going forward. We are now seeing the fact that they're actually going to have to start lowering some of their staff's wages, which, again, I think might be, might be good for the general level of smugness on our TV screens. But also, if Channel 4 gets a bit of a shot in the arm, that could be interesting. GB News is a fabulous addition to the media landscape. And so you've got all of this doing stuff all right now, yeah. And it's it is come doing off all the right. floor. It is doing all right. And there's a voice for it and there's a need for it. And so I think, actually, if you just look, it's quite a good time, right, to be a viewer in this country now if you like that kind of stuff, you know? Very interesting. Let's hear from Norma in Bristol. Go ahead, Norma. Hello, George. Hello, Patrick. Lovely um, to hear your voice. Go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm actually a bit annoyed because I think Barry Siltman and yourself were being a bit churlish about the Olympics. Oh, dear. OK, um, go ahead. Yeah, because, first of all, I think there's been a lot of coverage. BBC One, Two, Red Button... Eurosport 1 and 2, um, so that's been okay. And secondly, today has been, for people who like it, very interesting. It's been lovely. A Venezuelan girl, she won a triple jump gold. She beat the world record. She was overjoyed. 
Italy have been doing remarkably well, and they did have they? Test, didn't they? They're yeah, not, they they're not usually giants in the Olympic ring, is no. it? No. Well? They did beat us in the football, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're very good at football, yes. <laughs> yeah. How, have Cuba, no, how have Cuba done in the boxing? Well, um, I don't watch the boxing much. I but, think they've cleaned um, up. I heard that they'd, they've cleaned up. How is Britain doing? Well, I see the roars. The roars sank without trace. And we always win the rowing. Yeah, we didn't do well on that. But you see, I, I watch the athletics mostly. Mm -hmm. um, we've done okay. I mean, USA, very disappointing. But, you know, when you talk about excitement, in the high jump, this Italian shared the gold, never been known before, with a man from Qatar. And they were just hugging each other. And, and then we had... Um, Great hopes for one of our Dina Asher-Smith, who I don't expect you know, but she's very, very prominent in the athletics world for the 100 metres. And she got injured, but three Jamaicans won first, second and third, and they were fantastic, wow. you know? Um, that is amazing. That, uh, the, what, what is it about Jamaicans? They sure can run. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I know that I know that running is a huge, is a very popular sport over there in Jamaica. I think there's probably uh, one of their one of their favourite pastimes. So I think from from the moment you can walk, you can literally run in Jamaica, which is which is obviously great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is amazing, Norma. One, two, and three, Jamaica. Yeah, they did in the hundred. And they've all got double-barreled names. It's a good uh, it's a good uh, advertisement for uh, married people uh, doing the the double-barreled name trick. And they both had had babies, the first and second, you know? They both had yeah. babies, that is remarkable, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you're enjoying the, the Olympics and I'm just a churl. I haven't watched any of it, but partly uh, that's for other reasons, pressure of work and travel uh, yeah, and sure. all the rest. But I just felt, just, and Barry agreed with me, that there wasn't much buzz about the well, I, Olympics. Yeah, because they've actually been compromised quite a lot. But I've had quite a buzz today, and um, it makes such a change from all the unhappy and complicated news that we have, you know? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Are you watching it? Not really, but I have seen bits of it. I like watching it on fast forward, but you can't do that with 100 metres, though, to be fair, because it would be over very, very quickly, yeah. But, um, but the Italian guy did win the 100 metres as well, which I thought was a fantastic effort, of course. Yeah. And they had to interrupt a, uh, an interview that he was doing because the Italian, uh, the Italian PM was on the, on the line to him straight away. You don't get that, do you, with Boris Johnson? No, no, I'll... You know, yeah. <laughs> Boris is on the phone, don't actually. Him. I don't know, don't, don't but, yeah. Don't <laughs> Did you know that, Norma, that the Italian uh, gentleman had won the 100 metres? I didn't. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. He I can't recall that ever it. happening no. before. No, no. Um, I mean, our poor man, I did feel sorry for him, but False he, did, start, he was eliminated. It? He was eliminated because our he had a Our man was eliminated. Start. Yeah, he was. But, I mean, honestly, it's... Um, it's been very good, and I just felt I needed to pep up on that. No, well, uh, you've... Uh, You've defended the honour of the Olympic Games. Thanks, Norma, for uh, doing so. Um, bread and circuses, is it uh, diverting uh, the public's attention? Public seem to be 
uh, quite a low political ebb, in my mm. view. Oh, absolutely. There's so many people out there right now who are completely politically homeless. There's loads of people in the Labour Party who don't feel like they can vote for this current version of the Labour Party. There's loads of Conservatives out there who really don't want to vote for Boris Johnson ever again. The only f point there is, I suppose, that the Liberal Democrats are pretty uh, solid, but you can fit them all in the back of a Mini Cooper anyway, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, although growing, I think the smaller parties have got a reason, of course, for yes. hoping so. Uh, but smaller parties are going to be mm. the thing in the next period. I, I think the hegemony of the big two, if you include the Liberals even, the big three, is coming to an end. Because I think that mirrors society. And it touches back on something we were saying before, wasn't it, about all the different streaming networks, this, that and the other. Now, with the Instagram society, everyone's so niche and into so many different things, it's almost impossible for one overt political party to encapsulate everyone's interest. Thank you, Patrick. Download, if you will, the podcast, which is now being listened to in 42 countries. Can you believe that? Uh, the, the downloads were up 60%. It's absolutely extraordinary. The audience for the mother of all talk shows continues to grow and grow and grow. And I have you to thank for that. And, of course, wonderful guests like Patrick Christie's. Uh, who is going from strength to strength. It's been marvellous for me. I hope it was for you. Join me next week, if so. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway.